the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Silicon Valley Business Connections, brought to you by the Silicon Valley Black Chamber of Commerce, where diversity and opportunity are one. From education to employment, entrepreneurship to innovation, this program is your weekly connection to the latest trends and opportunities taking place all across Silicon Valley. Host Carl Davis Jr. talks to the rock stars of Silicon Valley and offers you engaging interviews and insights from local, regional, and internationally acclaimed business leaders, entrepreneurs, and community leaders to help you stay connected. Now, here's your host, Carl Davis Jr. Better than anything. Me and the engineer, we were talking today about some good jazz, and we came up with uh, one of the best songs I've ever heard in my life, Al Jarreau, Better Than Anything. I heard this song when I was 13 years old, man. Better Than Anything. Better Than Sailing at Midnight and Diving for Pearls. This is Carl Welch, and you're listening to Silicon Valley Business Connections. Welcome, everybody. We have a really good show today. We're going to have a little coffee and uh, great conversation. You guys know when y'all meet people and you say, hey, let's go grab some coffee at Starbucks. Well, we're sitting in the world of Starbucks right now. We have Dr. Tricia Coffee with us today. She's a, Dr. Coffee is a triple uh, board certified psychiatrist, and she specializes in the thing that means the most to me today. She specializes in child and adolescent psychiat- uh, psychiatry. Uh, adult psychiatry and forensic psychiatry, which we're going to try to find out about uh, what that means. So first, let's uh, welcome Dr. Coffey to the show. Thank you, ma'am, for taking the time to, to speak to us. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate being here. Now, now, I, uh, all things been said, I actually had the pleasure of meeting you and your husband about three or four years ago at a fundraiser uh, with the Commodores. And speaking to you, you blew me away, just your your breadth of knowledge and wisdom, your guidance, your everything that you talked about just raised um, just the hairs on my head about raising our kids in the community today. Um, and as a parent, um, I worry about how I raise my children. So will you tell us a little bit about what you do, and especially uh, the value that, that you bring to, to uh, our kids today? Tell us about what you do. Um, and uh, in child psychology, psychiatry, I'm sorry. That's okay. Well, uh, yeah, I enjoyed meeting you as well, and it's always fascinating to talk to people who have an interest. That's one, Once that happens, I, I just keep talking and, and don't stop, um, because when you see someone reciprocating the interest, that's, that's the most important thing you can ask for. I can tell you what I do. I don't know if I can speak to the value of it. I think that's very subjective. There may be some people who think I uh, talk too much or what I say doesn't matter, but I can tell you what I think the value is. Um, as a child psychiatrist, I'm a medical doctor. I went to medical school. 
which means I know about the heart and the lungs and everything else, uh, just like your other doctor, uh, your, your heart doctor. I just, I don't do that stuff. Um, I mainly work on the brain. So I don't just prescribe medication, but that is a big part of my practice for people with various mental illnesses, um, adults, kids, everybody. Um, I also do therapy, talk therapy, so everybody doesn't want meds. You know, I have a good number of parents whose kids have ADHD or something and they don't want to do meds. And so I help them navigate how to not do meds. Um, But kind of my focus, the way I live life professionally and personally, is you don't necessarily have to do it this way, but you've got to do it a way. So you you can't say, I don't know what to do for my kids, so I'm going to do nothing. You've got option A, B, or C, and you've got to pick one of those. So That's you, pretty much what I do. You do an awful lot of work in the community. You uh, you participate on boards, on committees. You were uh, the outgoing president or all the outgoing president of the Nevada's Child and Adolescent Psychiatry Organization. Um, you do legislative and adv- advocacy work. Um, you This must resonate with you in your mind, heart, and soul as far as how we actually raise our kids, um, the challenges that they go through. It does. It does, and it's why I do what I do. Um, I work with adults. I will work with elderly people, but my favorite is probably children. And one of the things things I tell my trainees, people that I train coming up through the pro, uh, program who are learning to do what I do, is that kids really want to get better. They're not so bogged down in what's wrong that they just need somebody to sympathize. They really want whatever's going on to stop. Uh-huh. And like I said to you a moment ago, if you want to get better, then I'm with it. We can we can do that. Um, kids want to get better, and it's super, super important when somebody wants to do something and move forward that you give them a way to do it, even if you don't know exactly the right way. As long as there's momentum, you're going to be okay. Now, is, is there a difference in how you uh, um, approach either child or adolescent and or adult psychiatry? There is. There's actually a significant difference. Um, And some people love that difference and some people hate it. With children, there's so much family involved, right? It's often you'll have parents come in and they only want to talk to you. They don't really want you to spend time with the parents. So when I mentioned my value to you earlier, there are some parents who who don't want to see me because I I spend so much time with their kid and not with them. Um, But I'm going to spend time with the kid because that's who I'm here for. But the family is super important. You know, when you're talking to an adult, you could never talk to anybody else in that person's family and and treat them adequately, treat them mm-hmm. well. But with a kid, you absolutely must. And sometimes you've got situations that are so untenable that what you may be doing is just getting that child through the age of 18 so they can get away from that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but the environment's critical no matter what it is, whether it's good, bad, horrible. You, you've got to get that kid through that environment. So now how much does how much does the environment... Pay, uh, play a role in um, a child's attitude versus um, the way they actually see the world? Well, so this is a thing I say, and uh, I can't back it up with uh, scientific evidence, but I, this is sort of one of my tenets. I have these little things that I say, and one of them is we all know, you probably know, there's a huge shortage of child and adolescent psychiatrists, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're just not, not even a fourth of the number of us needed to go around. Here's the thing. If it weren't for environmental issues, there wouldn't be that shortage because there is not enough biological inborn, 
schizophrenia, depression, etc., to keep our field going the way it is. There, it's there. It's definitely there. There is inborn uh, schizophrenia, bipolar, all those illnesses. But the numbers are not high enough just alone to keep us in business. What keeps us in business is what the environment does to those people that have those problems. So a person with PTSD, someone who survived Katrina, but uh, in a supportive environment, I may never meet that person. Mm-hmm. But someone whose boyfriend broke up with them might be in my office after their third overdose. Really? And the difference is largely, not completely, but largely what they're perceiving, what they're experiencing. It's not the severity of the tragedy, because if it was the severity of the tragedy, everybody in Syria would have killed themselves by Yeah. So does the severity of the tragedy, whatever the tragedy is, does it make a difference on the age? Like if it's a, a preteen versus an adult? Or, or how they or how they deal with it? It does, but the difference isn't something that as a, you know, kind of a typical parent, you have to know all the ins and outs of. You have to know that it matters, uh-huh. that it always matters. Regardless of what it is, it matters. That's right. Yeah. Nothing that you read in Good Housekeeping about they don't need to know, they don't care, they'll be fine. That's never true. Um, as long as you know that something horrible happened, and I'm pretty sure there are potential negative consequences for my kids, so I got to do something about it. As long as you know that, you're on the you're on a good path. So, so how do we as parents? And I know you have a ten year old. I have a ten year old and a fifteen year old. How do we navigate through all of those challenges, uh, knowing their path, knowing uh, what they are experiencing, what the social, cultural, and, and the experiences that they're going through? How do we how do we deal with that? And and do we do we a- attack every one of those problems, or do we let them deal with some of them on their own? So that's a huge, huge question. Um, and, and you're asking the question that, you know, all good parents, I think, ask. And so I'll start off by saying, parents often ask me, what do I do? Am I doing the wrong thing? And I, again, one of my things that I always say is, and I, and I want you to catch this, and I want you to catch it and keep it, and this is super important, as long as you are asking that question, you're going to be probably Okay. Oh, okay. So you may not choose the path or the option that turned out exactly the way you wanted it for your child, but you will be okay because as long as you don't kick in regret, mm-hmm. then you can move through it. Regret is the thing that has people in my office. Regret is the thing that has people overdosing. Regret is the thing that has people shooting other people. You can be sad. You can be confused. You can be unsure. As long as a parent, as long as you're thinking and asking and talking, what should I do, how should I do it, and what will happen, as long as you're saying that to yourself and that's guiding your decisions, it's okay if you chose a blue car instead of a red car. You know, it's I okay wish it was that chose. simple. So- well, but it is, as long as you tell yourself it's going to be okay. When I, when I say okay, I mean okay in terms of the big picture. So the yeah. other question that goes with as long as you're questioning the other question is, what are you trying to accomplish? Right. So now that's the thing. Isn't isn't that like the important thing like, as far as a parent? What are we trying to accomplish by? But we don't ask that. That's yeah. the problem. We we try to get through the day because we're busy and we're tired and we've got our own issues. Uh-huh. So we're trying to get through the day. Yeah. If you can force yourself to keep perspective on what am I trying to accomplish? Am I trying to make my kid do this or do that? Or am I trying to do an overall big picture? And if you keep that big picture in mind... That's what I mean when I say you'll be okay, meaning I want my kid to learn to ask for help when they need it. So 
if you're making a smaller decision about should they do X, Y, or Z, if you choose X instead of Y, as long as the take-home message is still, but my kid will know to ask for help. Yeah, yeah. We, we're talking to uh, Dr. Tricia Coffey, who is uh, one of the most brilliant young ladies I've ever spoke with regarding uh, child, uh, adolescent, and uh, adult psychiatry. Uh, we want to talk a little bit more about uh, forensic psychiatry when we get back. But what I want to know is how, what can go wrong. Uh, how we're raising our kids, how we, if we're doing it wrong, uh, how do we actually uh, engage with our children or do we have to allow them to make their own mistakes of, um, uh, as they go along? You're listening to Silicon Valley Business Connections. This is Carl Welch. We'll be back uh, in a moment. Thanks for uh, tuning in. We'll be right back. Join the Silicon Valley Black Chamber of Commerce and watch your business grow. Participate in mixers, webinars, and training workshops to help start, finance, and grow your business. All with the help of the Chamber's certified Small Business Development Center's consultants for free. That's right. Sign up for one-on-one help from a certified Small Business Development Expert Advisor for free. Call 408-288-8806 or visit blackchamber.com. That's blackchamber.com. And now back to Silicon Valley Business Connections. Now, I know you guys recognize that song. If you... uh if you grew up in the 70s and the 80s and you were really into some real good jazz, slow breezing by uh, George Benson, always got my day started. This is Carl Welch, and you're listening to uh, Silicon Valley Business Connections. We're talking to Dr. Trisha Coffey. She, uh, she resides in Vegas. Now, your household must be an incredible household. Your, your husband is a psychiatrist also, right? That's correct. He's a neurologist and a psychiatrist. Now, see, that's that's incredible. I mean, and and he's a neurologist and a psychiatrist. And you 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 do work. Now, I know you do forensic psychiatry. Explain that to me a little bit. Uh, The short answer is forensic psychiatry is anywhere that mental health intersects the law. So malpractice is what most people think of. But uh, is your grandmother mentally competent to sign a will? Um, do child custody um, is a person not guilty by reason of insanity? Ah, okay. Uh, okay. Are they competent to be executed? Um, okay. Oh, that's got to be. That's, some of those things are are pretty emotional. They deal with. Uh, it would seem some emotional uh, uh, uptake because it's either you know freedom that's in in question or a child's. Um, behavior or your parents' uh, mental capacity. Uh, so it seemed like forensic psychiatry would be more, and I don't want to say stressful, but that I can't, I, I'm not, I'm not a wordsmith, more stressful than just dealing with ordinary psychiatry because you're dealing with people's emotions at that point. Huh? It actually seems like that. But one of the reasons that me and most people I know in that, that do forensics do it is because it's kind of the opposite because uh, okay. what doing is an assessment. You're not, you don't have an emotional attachment. You don't have a doctor-patient relationship. You're meeting a stranger. You're being given some data. And you are making a professional assessment on 
various things. So it's not like what you hear on TV. Did he okay. know what he did? There yeah. are specific um, correlates to competence. Does he have X, Y, and Z? And you're assessing if he has X, Y, and Z. And I like it because, and I find this in a lot of areas, but particularly in forensics, working um, on the criminal side with African-American patients, um, especially young men, something that someone else might say is incompetent, and right. it has to do with the language that's used or right. the gestures right. or various things. I can look at that same person and say, no, they're competent. They get it. They meet these parameters. You just asked in a crazy way. So that, so that let's doesn't. talk about that. Let's talk about the the um, social political environment that we live in, whether it's a poor black male or a rich or wealthy or white female um, when we're talking about the law or when we're talking about their growth pattern, um, do you guys or do psychiatrists recognize, and I'm sure they do, do you recognize the fact that growing up in a, a poor economic, uh, a, a poor economically um, declining, I guess, environment, and that's not even the right way of saying it, but a poor neighborhood and a rich neighborhood, kids develop differently. So do we as a field recognize it? Absolutely. Does society recognize it? only on the surface. When it's convenient as a society, we say, you know, the shooter of the, you know, the Caucasian shooter had affluenza and it's a result of his environment because he was rich and had everything and environment is super important and everything has to do with parenting and environment, so it's not his fault. But then when it's a brown person, it's, well, yeah, 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 he had a bad childhood, but so what? Um, there are a lot of authors who've written about it, and they use various terms. I don't think we have one that has stuck yet, but one of the ones I like so far is um, toxic childhood stress mm. because it kind of encompasses those things that don't meet a diagnosis criteria. I, I can't give it a name in my diagnosis book, but the toxic environment, and that could be drugs, parenting, abuse, all of those stressors. And the word toxic is good because I, I try to help parents understand that what these major stressors do, it's, it's like a poison almost. It's not that it feels bad and, and stressful. That's true, too. But it's almost like an actual physical poison. It goes in your brain and it sears things. Yes. You know, picture your synapses. Picture a car battery where you dropped a little uh, Coke on it, you know, and you see it bubble up. Mm-hmm. It's like that. It's not just annoying. It's physically doing something to your brain. But doesn't that, do I mean, that doesn't that over and over again? And doesn't that prohibit? I mean, living in that those toxic environments doesn't that prohibit? especially black males, and I grew up obviously uh, in the neighborhood and I was a black male, doesn't that prohibit you from learning properly or adjusting properly or being associated, uh, acculturated or assimilated into the the, the uh, society? Uh, more? Doesn't it make that more complicated? So no, it doesn't prohibit it, but yes, it certainly can make it more complicated, but not impossible. And and part of the difficulty, and I grew up in a you know a lot of white people around, and so I kind of had their perspective on it, like, well, but you're, there are other things that aren't bad. Can't you just see that it's not all like that? Can't you just look past it and move on? Look at all these other people who succeeded. What's wrong with you? And it really does take a much deeper understanding. Um, for people to get why it matters and why it makes it so hard. The thing is, as people, as humans, we're not really into that much research on anything. 
So asking the average person to do an in-depth dive onto why toxic stress <laughs> impairs assimilation and how it impairs it and what we can do about it, we're not like that as a people. We're, we're just not that interested. Um, but yes, it makes it extremely difficult for a lot of reasons we don't have time to get into right now. Um, but it's not something that uh, can't be prevented. It's not something that can't be fixed. It's actually not even something that's really all that hard to fix. So it's could, could, could you do that? Earlier. If, if you're not asking the question, then you don't know it's there. If you're asking the question, it can be solved. So could you solve it across the board? Could you solve it across uh, the United States, uh, all black males or 90 percent of the black males, if we do this, whether if it's show love in the house or show compassion or empathy, then they won't resort to whatever. It, it, can you do that across the board? You could bring our numbers closer to other populations numbers. So no, not 100%, of course not. But you could um, decrease some of the disparity. Our numbers don't have to be where they are because of what we've been through, but it it all builds on each other. So you could get it to where, just like if you brought in proper school books and computers to a a failing school, everyone's not coming up. Their numbers are going to come up to where everybody else is going to come up. Right. So some kids are going to fail, some kids are going to succeed, some kids are going to be stars. And that's what a lot of times we don't strive for. We strive for the superstars. We are always looking for the MLK of the group or the Gandhi, and everybody's not that. We want some people to just have equal opportunity and succeed at their level. But there's not a lot of room for that. Yeah, okay. So listen, we got three minutes left. So I want to ask you this. What motivates our kids today? I got a 15-year-old daughter, very popular. What motivates our kids today? What motivates our kids is the same thing that motivated us and everybody else. It just looks a little bit different. Kids go through different developmental stages, and at different times, different things motivate them. When they're teens, what motivates them is their uh, environment, their friends, what they see. When you talk about, when you tell our kids things like, uh, oh, we're always portrayed negatively, that means nothing to a teenager. How, how, how we are portrayed is how we are because that's what they see. Mm-hmm. If you see it with your eyes, you believe it. So we are not always portrayed as bad, African-Americans, but bad is always portrayed as us. Right. Catch that. That's right. a little bit different. Right. Absolutely, though. If you want to see good, if you look up the word good, there's a picture of a Caucasian or right. some other race. Right. If you look up bad... It's not always going to be black, but if you look up black, it's pretty much always going to be bad. And that's what they see, and that's what matters to them. And so in helping them understand, you've got to figure out, if I go one way, it might result in Mm self-hate. If I go another way, it might result in anger at other races. If If I go in another way, it might result in embarrassment. But as long as you recognize those things could happen, if I tell them everything that other people have done to us, they're going to be angry and mad. What's my big picture? If I don't tell them, they're going to be sheltered for a little while and they're going to be my baby. If that's your big picture, cool, as long as you know that's your big picture. If I just don't want to tell them because it's icky and it seems nasty, that's not a good reason. Yeah. I got a good reason. I I got a minute left here. I want to ask you this. Um, what, uh, What can go wrong? What can go wrong with a parent giving his child uh, a lot of love, or maybe too much love. Is that a bad thing? Well, love, too much love, no. A too much inappropriate expression of love. So what's your big picture? If it's things you're giving them, what are you trying to accomplish? Do you want them to have stuff, or do you want them to feel loved? And do you think that love means stuff? 
And do you want your kid to think that love means stuff? Do you want your kid to move away when they're 35 and successful and to send you flowers every week as an expression of love? What are you trying to accomplish? Do you just want your kid to feel comfortable in the world? Well, then that doesn't mean stuff necessarily. As long as you are trying to make, as long as you can picture a correlate of your 15-year-old kid at 25, what their take-home message Mm -hmm. is going to be, what they're going to tell me if they're sitting in my office, think about what they're going to tell me about their dad. My dad always bought me stuff. My dad always loved me. My dad never bought me stuff. Because when a kid tells me my parents love me, I ask a question that some parents don't like. Right, but right. I ask, how do you know? Right. We're, we're talking to Dr. Tricia Coffey. Um, we're going to get more get her back on the show because uh, she's got so much to say. You're listening to Silicon Valley Business Connections. I'm Carl Welch. Carl Davis is on hiatus, but he'll be back next week. You guys have a great weekend. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Business Connections with Carl Davis Jr. and brought to you by the Silicon Valley Black Chamber of Commerce. More information about today's show is available by going to the Chamber's website, blackchamber.com. That's blackchamber.com. Or call 408-288-8806. That's 408-288-8806. Copies of our podcast are available online at blackchamber.com. If you would like to know more about a specific guest or make recommendations for upcoming guests and topics, email info at blackchamber.com. Keeping you connected. Silicon Valley Business Connections. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.